Hello again. We are back. Back for another episode of the show we call Matt Men. My name is Matthew Pizzana. I am co-host of this show that we do about movies. And alongside of me is my co-host, because he would also be a co-host, because there's two of us. Matthew, hello today, and how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I am lovely. I'm feeling uh, wonderful, because I'm not in your crappy state where I'd be sweating to death. I'm in my state where it's like 88 degrees outside. So, ha-ha to oh, you. I, I, hate, I hate you so much. It's like 105. <laughs> Might as well be in Vegas at that temperature. At least you'd be having more fun. Hey, but hey, Vegas, that's a dry heat. Yes. I was... Honestly, honestly, that that is a complete different kind of heat. The heat down here in Texas is you step outside and you can't breathe. It's dumb. Dumb, it's dumb, 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 along with your politicians. But this is not the show for that. This is the show where we talk about movies and all such things as. So we sh- let's start talking about movies, shall we? And okay, another sure. exclusive window deal has been reached between Warner Brothers and AMC to where there will be a 45-day theatrical window next year. Does this save the industry? Uh, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> that's, um, that's the right answer. Uh, who knows at this point, because, you know, a few months ago, it looked like we might have been winding COVID down and now it's going crazy. Again. Back so up again. Who knows what's going to happen? Uh, I actually saw um, a lot of people on Twitter saying that um, Free Guy, which is as of our taping is coming out in four days, how that's going to be a really good barometer because it has people, you know, and it seems like a four quadrant movie. Mm-hmm. but it also is exclusive to theaters for a little while and that's going to be a good barometer but we've been saying that about like every movie every big release for the last well since uh september with uh, uh what was the name of it tenant yes Tenet. that movie that uh, you pooped on yeah anyway um so yeah i i don't know um the 45 day window uh, this day and age might just, you know, beg for more piracy, you know? Yeah. It kind of falls in that middle ground. Like people will wait for it, but it's right in the, well, if we can just pirate the stupid day, why do we not do that? Like, you know, if you're going to extend it longer to 90 days, that's one thing. If you're going to make it shorter, that's another thing, but this just seems like a cop out. Like it just sits right in the middle and it doesn't benefit really anybody. And and it's also just tough to to kind of get a handle on where success is with streaming right now, because you have people looking at the box office and streaming numbers for uh, Black Widow one way, and they're saying, "Oh, this is great," or "It's not good enough." And then Jungle Cruise apparently is a big hit, but I don't think it did numbers too far off. So I I don't I really don't know anymore. Um, until about a year and a half ago, it was very cut and dry. Mm-hmm. You could just sit down on Monday morning, look at the numbers and say, people like this, people didn't. And now you just kind of have to say, maybe, I don't know. Maybe is a sad word, but I agree with you there. The way that Netflix and everybody else does their numbers, they don't, they're not even as open as the box office numbers, which were never truly open. It was kind of what we were being told, but it was close enough. 
Um, but Netflix doesn't do that. They will just tell you most stream thing ever. And, but what does that even mean anymore? I, I think that if you see, if you, if, if Warner brothers, if they notice people not going back to theaters, you're going to see them try to redo this deal pretty quick. <laughs> Yeah, it seems like it's just a one-year deal. You know, it's just kind of like a like a superstar in the NBA. I'll go with you for one year, but let's revisit this after the end of this year. So well, I'm sure you know, it was, just... Well, it was their day and date, you know, HBO Max model. That was a year. Mm-hmm. So right now they're just kind of, it almost seems like they're throwing spaghetti at the wall to see which one's going to be more beneficial for them. But I think in the long run, this is just going to lead to one thing. Big budgets are going to start having to come down a little bit. Yeah. Yep. Um, one budget that I don't think came down was Suicide Squad. And maybe that's not a great thing because it did not impress at the box office. There are many reasons for that, I think, this uh, week especially. So let's talk about some of those reasons, shall we? Obviously, COVID, uh, the Delta variant has swooped back in and tried to take us all out. So that makes it a little bit more um, nerve wracking, I guess, to go to the films. But also HBO had this. And also there was a 2016 version that nobody liked. So take any number of those and tell me what well, you don't, think. Well, don't say nobody liked it because a lot of people on Twitter will you know, flame you for that. Well, um, that's because they have brain damage. I'm not going to comment on that because I once made a <laughs> offhand snarky comment and then people told me they wanted me to die of cancer. So, you know. Yay, Internet. <laughs> Yeah, especially the uh, the people that are all in on the the DC stuff. It gets it gets intense. But anyway, I mean, it made seventy two million, uh, and it was day and date on HBO Max. We don't know how much it's streamed on HBO Max. So again, what what constitutes a hit? That is a good question. I think that we need to reevaluate certainly what it is now. This um, I think this did thirty five million. Oh, overall, I'm sorry. I, I agree yeah, with what you're saying. 72. Yep. So that seems like a pretty man. good first week for what's happening right now and in the world and everything else. Okay. So this kind of can segue a little bit into something, you know, we've got a couple of lawsuits heading Disney's way right now because uh, they didn't, uh, they didn't release Black Widow theatrically. Uh, only that once they did it on disney plus she says that messed with the numbers and she took a lower deal so she could get a higher back end which is very common they tried to pay her off right like they tried to give her like five million dollars whenever they started doing that i i don't think so the uh that's what they did with uh i think they gave five million to patty jenkins and five million to gal gadot for wonder woman 84 but i don't think they did that for that they According to the lawsuit, they didn't answer Scarlett Johansson's representation, right? So anyway. What a terrible um, decision that was, by the way. Yeah, if it's true, it's terrible. Fair. But so, okay. And we kind of talked about this, you know, in other episodes, but Hollywood is very notorious for not being honest with numbers. Of course. Like they say the first Predator has never broken even, but it has six sequels and you know video games so obviously it did well enough um the guy who directed the first willy wonka uh was in court with them for like 20 years and finally turned out yeah they were lying about it but they will do things like uh 
for Die Hard, they charge themselves to shoot in their own building. <laughs> right. You know, so, yep. okay. $300 staplers and the whole like. Right. So my point is this. Um, how can we tell now how much this is made? Like I said before, with streaming, it's all kind of nebulous. It's all kind of up in the air. There's no way of really checking it. Maybe they want that. Yes, one hundred percent. I think I remember we talked about that specifically and how this could be kind of a sneaky thing the studios do mm-hmm. to uh, get out of paying people some extra when they announced this day and date for HBO Max over a year ago or about a year ago. I think we talked about it on the pod then. I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's an easy way for them to do that. They're all about manipulating how much money they're going to pay out, which is that they always try for never and zero dollars being paid out. So it's, um, yeah, that really sucks for Suicide Squad. I thought it was okay. I, I enjoyed it. Um, I mean, fun. I still, yeah, I, I still thought the 2016 version was so bad that anything this time was going to be better than that. Again, my own personal opinion. If you want me to die of cancer, that is fine too. I accept <laughs> your anger. Um, but I'm telling the truth. I will tell you, uh, John Cena was lovely. Idris Elba is better than Will Smith, and yep. that's kind of a sad day for me. Yeah, you, you know, uh, I'd like to see, you know, David Ayer says he has his own cut of the original. And while I'm sure it's not going to be something that is going to change my opinion a great deal, it might, it might, you never know. Um, I would like to see it just because I've heard stories about what happened with the movie. Um, I have a friend who is a trailer editor. And basically, the uh, trailer was sent out to like three different houses, oh. and the one they and the one they went with was one that this guy, you know, put uh, Bohemian Rhapsody to. Uh-huh. Uh, and it's a great trailer, and unfortunately, it's not like the movie at all. So then, they took David Ayer's cut, gave the movie to the trailer editor. And said, okay, now you get to cut the movie. And he turned in something that was not a movie. And then they gave it to a third party. And that's the version that got released. That is the story I've heard for years now from multiple sources. So if that's the case, I'd like to see the original one because I can totally understand, especially in the wake of, you know, Man of Steel and Batman v Superman, these grim, dark movies that most of the public had a negative reaction to. All of a sudden, you've got another grim, dark movie coming out, but someone cuts this amazing, awesome, poppy trailer, and now you got to try to steer the course. Like you got to steer the ship into the the new course. And if you take a look, the movies they've done since Aquaman, uh, Birds of Prey, uh, this new Suicide Squad, and Shazam have all been brighter, more fun, more pop you know, than the previous ones. So it seemed like (laughs) all of their decisions for their superhero movies were made by that trailer, you know? So yeah, I'd like to see the original, but um, I don't think it's going to be better than this. Release the can cut of the brown bunny already. No. While we're talking about Hall of Famers, Vincent Gallo would be the Hall of Famer that I was talking about. You Uh. and I could also be considered Hall of Famers in the podcast world. But two no. of the greats, the first ballot Hall of Famer people, 
Quentin Tarantino <laughs> and Roger Deakins, one side of that tandem has called out the other for being lazy while they're shooting in regards to film versus digital. Let's put this to rest right now. Is Tarantino always right? No, um, but <laughs> nobody is. And, you know, I sent you a clip that was, you know, from an older interview that I hadn't heard before. Um, it's probably a, a good thing that a lot of film people haven't heard, uh, you know, Tarantino dogging on, uh, on Deacon so bad. Because, Just I mean, it, kills him he, for a couple minutes. He really does. He goes after one of the greatest DPs really hard just because this DP doesn't mind working in a, a different form, you know? And basically Tarantino says that uh, he that Deacons likes shooting digital because he's lazy. I don't think it's that at all because he's doing more work in post. And it's just like, like I was telling you, it's a different type, a different set of skills, right? Uh, a different focus where film you're focusing more on, you know, getting a certain exposure on the day. You know, you you do have that latitude with digital where uh, you can use fewer lights at night, right. for example, you know, and it's just, uh, it's what everybody likes. Like I, I know I love to play with my image and post because sometimes I don't want to be tied into a look that I might want to change later for any reason, you know? Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. it's, and I mean, it's certainly part of this argument is going to be, Tarantino Personal would prefer uh, a DP like uh, Deacons to continue to use film. So film is continued to be a medium that we see in movies. And I think that that's right. one of the reasons that he lashed out at him because he, you know, I mean, it obviously it holds him in pretty high esteem for him to go completely digital and not do any film work. I think that that bothers QT at least a little bit because, you know, he is a champion of that. Well, I mean, if you watch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, you know, your main character is basically an allegory for for Tarantino. Mm. How he's and even the book that he reads, which mm -hmm. is another allegory of it, where it's this, you know, aging Bronco Buster who doesn't have quite the hitch in his giddy up that he used to, but he's still got a couple of moves left in him and he has the experience. And I think part of it is he grew up with film, that's what he knows. Mm. And he's he might be feeling a little left behind because people are abandoning this thing that he loves. And I right. get that. But, um, you know, if you've got to run everything through a computer anyway to edit it and then to add color correction to yeah, it now, for sure. and let's not pretend that he doesn't do some di digital manipulation, the digital color correction he did on uh, kill bill one and two is really extensive. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. really extensive to the point where uh ellie driver's um her eye patch is basically digitally for most of the movie digitally colored pure black hmm. and there are a couple of shots where it's not and you can kind of see that it's shiny and reflective and it's like oh they didn't do it in those <laughs> right no but those are very they look very much of their time hmm. at least to me i might be completely wrong you know it, it's just it, it's QT being QT. Like, I mean, on the theater that he owns, always on, always on film. Every time. He says it, says it on, on the marquee every day, you know, always on film. So I'm glad that somebody's still championing that out there. I hope that um, more yeah, people do. 
I mean, you've heard me complain when we saw RoboCop and they basically played it off of a Blu-ray at the Alamo. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. I got upset because I wanted to see an old movie. I wanted to see an old print that had some scratches yep. that wasn't in the best of condition, especially for one that was shot on such crappy film stuff <laughs> as that movie mm-hmm. was. There's something to be said about the magic of it. You know? It's never going to go away. It's just um, yeah. there's a uniqueness and a originality to film that we're going to lose. And I love digital. I got no problem with digital. But, you know, film is still a special part of movie making, at least it used to be. It's almost like, uh, you know, the way that art has changed, I think, a little bit, too. Yeah. You know, their approach to that, um, the, the, the fungible tokens, the, that's what art is now. Yeah. And that has nothing to do with the basis of art because there's nothing still tangible about it. But that's the way the world works today we've got a grand topic for the show today and i think we should take a little bit of time and hopefully not creep anybody out that's the whole goal of this segment it's not to creep anybody out because we are going to talk about sex in movies we're going to go all the way back to the beginning look at how it first started we'll spend time in the 60s and 70s where it was okay and things were going great. And then we can go to the 90s and the 2000s where it becomes a little rapey and then it becomes not a thing at all. Matt, let's go all the way back to the year 1896. That was the year that the movie The Kiss came out, which was the first kiss on screen. People freaked out about that when it first came out. What are your memories of The Kiss? Um, I've never seen it. <laughs> I didn't expect um, it yet. Well, no, no, no. It's it's interesting because uh, I've s- seen a lot of uh, movies from that time because there are only like three movies from the exactly. 1800s. Sure. And I'm surprised I've never seen it. It's literally just 26 seconds of like someone getting a peck on the cheek. Yep. Um, well, okay. So we actually had a whole class on um, censorship. And, you know, we went through how sex and violence, but mostly sex and nudity were portrayed from an American film throughout the history of, uh, throughout the history of American film, right? So basically it comes down to this, as long as people have been able to produce images, um, can I cuss? Do you mind if I cuss? Let's cuss today. Okay, then they've produced images of people fucking. Like yep. that's just how it is. Um, all the way back paintings. to Roman times. Go look at any Before of the- that. Cave <laughs> well, for sure. Yes. Yeah. 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 No, it, it has been that way since the history of time, right? Like since the beginning of history. Um, so uh, it's not something that you're going to get rid of, you know? Um, mm-hmm. the, the, God knows they've tried, but some of the very first movies were stag films. People, I don't think, have any concept of how crazy or how offensive some people took to just that kiss on screen like it just melted people's minds at that time um the same way the train did whenever the train shot came to the theater and they thought it was really coming at them it was the same month and a half before that yeah exactly yeah they just never seen anything like it but also talking about sexuality in a protestant nation such as ours has always had its problems we have always been prudes in that way so to see the evolution has really been fascinating to see it from the 2020 view 2021 view that we have now man there's been some highs and some lows there have been some some times where they weren't doing anything and then there have been some times where we'll get to that it went all the way up to the academy awards that's as crazy I mean, as they got in the 70s 
Well, I mean, don't don't forget, you know, during the days of the code, you could only kiss for like four seconds. Mm-hmm. What was it? The haze code? Am I right on that? The haze code. That's yeah, correct. Yeah. Um, you couldn't like do open mouth kiss, you know, like it was, it was very strict. Mm-hmm. And then the seventies and the eighties happened and things went crazy. Like, I, I don't think it was allowed for you to have an eighties film without nudity, you know? Oh, no. And then erotic thrillers in the early nineties. But by the time you got to showgirls, people were kind of getting over it. Yep. And then I think a lot of the sex moved to TV and out of movies. And now you're at a place where this is like the sex movies are as sexless as they've ever been. On completely, on the whole. yeah. Well, and on TV, that is in, insane to me if you look at just you know 15, 20 years ago, how the 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 pendulum has swung again to where there's well, just take, nothing. Well, take a look at the '80s where you know every comedy was you know naked women. Right. Mm-hmm. And now if there is nudity, it's usually a dick. And, you know, but that's also because, you know, dicks are funny. Like it's just an easy way to get a laugh. But yeah, all the sex is kind of moved to TV and Netflix. But even then, it's really, I, I don't want to say like, I don't want to say that it's sanitized, but having something like Fifty Shades of Grey where an old episode of uh silk stockings you know yeah for uh, sure was uh sexier it's kind of weird how you could make a tame snm film is beyond me though i I, saw it it. and it was a thing that happened it was very weird let's go back to those glorious glorious days of the 80s and let's talk about you know what let's start with mickey rourke he was the star of a couple of uh, yeah naughty erotic films back in the day nine and a half weeks and body heat were two of his uh, bigger films and that was perfectly cool like he was able to continue this career and do that kind of stuff i guess at some point in time we are going to talk to talk about the difference between a man showing his his body parts and a woman and how that influences their career you look at somebody like i'm going to go to nypd blue right now because that's the first one i think of andy sipwitz showed his butt on tv and it was a hullabaloo of stuff but if you do that with a female, it's completely opposite. Like it would be a, a completely different response and it's just judged completely differently. And it's been that way forever. Not that society hasn't also been like that, but right. especially with the sex and movies, it's, it's been um, a long lasting thing that I think only now women are being able to have choices and saying, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to make, yeah. you know, get out of this, use a body double, whatever it is. It's just not the same anymore. Thank goodness for that too, which is really great. Yeah, I, I don't think people should be forced to do what they don't want to do. Um, oh, have you heard? Did you hear Sharon Stone talk recently about how she didn't know they were shooting the shot in uh, Basic that's Instinct? That's Oh, okay. Uh, oh. Uh, Bobcat Goldthwait has a whole bit about that. Um, it's from the, the 90s. And he's like, like, there's a light on her crotch. You know, like you have to have someone there doing the measurement to make sure it's in focus. And don't forget, they got a close up. It's not right. just that first shot. They got a close-up. I think that was her, it might be her way of saying, uh, trying to say, uh, no, I'm a good girl, you know? But it doesn't, like, alter any of the other stuff in the movie, and the other stuff in the movie is more graphic. That's fair. You know? That's very fair. Um, but but there's, there's literally a close-up. Like, people see, they remember the wide shot, and then it cuts to all the guys. <laughs> right. So her, like, the other leg crossing, and it's a close-up. Hmm. 
that doesn't really happen on accident with film, you know? That's fair. That is, yeah, there's well, a lot of lighting Bobcat that has Gold to be a bit about that because it's really funny. And he worked with her on one of the Police Academy movies, so it's funny. That is one of the things that we look at as we go through some of these lists of uh, sex and films. American Pie was a film when we were of that age yeah. that was massively I that huge. A, I saw that at a test screen. I mean, it was everywhere back then, but you look at it now, how awful that scene is where the three boys are perving on the girl that doesn't know that there's a camera there. Like, it is so no, no, terrible no, no. retrospect. No, no, no. Not just that. They're live broadcasting it to <laughs> there you the go. whole school. Yeah. It's terrifying. Yeah. Um, but then again, I, we've talked about this before. The guys from Revenge of the Nerds would be in jail today. Oh, for sure. Like, like he straight up rapes her. And the plot of the movie is she realizes she's raped. She's been raped. Gets upset for about half a second and then goes, but you were so good. Are all nerds <laughs> as good as you? And it's it's a it's literally a rape fantasy. It's yeah. terrible. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it is pretty creepy. Um, the, you know, girls drinking and then taking advantage of them was a theme in those '80s movies. Yeah, uh, and uh, oh, in retrospect, gotta get them drunk. That yeah. is horrible. I, I referenced a movie earlier that won an Academy Award uh, for being rated X because of the sexuality involved in that. Midnight Cowboy. Um, starring the great Dustin Hoffman. Oh my goodness, uh, that character was fantastic. And then John Boyd yeah. as the main character, who was the male gigolo uh, in the uh, situation, enjoying old ladies uh, for a few extra bucks for rent. And again, that one uh, for the Oscar for the Academy Award. How did you feel about Midnight Cowboy? Um, I didn't see it until I think after college, and you know, it had been built up as. The only X-rated movie to ever be nominated for an Oscar, and I watched it. I'm like, "What is this X-rated for?" Yeah, like, I, I, I was. I it's kind of like when uh, in South Park when the when the boys get really excited because they're going to read Catcher in the Rye, <laughs> right? And they're like, "Ooh, it was banned," and they're like, "Wait, what? Why was he? He said shit like twice. That, that mm-hmm. that's it." Yep. Yeah, watching Midnight Cowboy, I, I couldn't understand why it was X-rated. Um, now, Last Tangle in Paris, I get why that's X-rated. Bertolucci, uh, he likes him. Some, yeah, Bertolucci's been doing his uh, his naughty yeah. sex stuff for years and years, decades now. And uh, well, we, we, you know, we should. There's one that we didn't put on the list that we really should talk about, just because of the clusterfuck it ended up being, and that's uh, Caligula. Oh, the classic Caligula. Where they signed on, people signed on to make what they knew was going to be a ribald kind of sexy movie. Mm -hmm. And then they said, yeah, not enough. And then without telling anyone, went and shot literal hardcore pornography Mm -hmm. and put it into the movie. And the actors didn't realize it until they were sitting at the theater watching the premiere. It's hilarious quite a surprise i'm sure yeah can you imagine gosh they would not get away with that nowadays that is for sure you know well i I don't know what about nymphomaniac because every conversation leading up to the making of nymphomaniac was how all the sex was real Mm -hmm. and then once there was kind of a public backlash on it they're like oh we're we're gonna cg the lower parts and it's like are you (laughs) exactly i don't trust lars to do that at all Neither do I. Now, it's not like those couple of close-ups they have in um, 
Antichrist? Yeah, Antichrist. The slow penis going back and forth? Oh, yeah. Right, where it's like, that's obviously, you know, a stand-in. Yeah. Although I don't think Willem Dafoe would have said no. I don't think so either. (laughs) Because it's Willem Dafoe. Yeah. He seems up for anything. But, yeah, uh, the, the stuff that they did in uh nymphomaniac i've not seen a a vfx breakdown on it i don't think mm-hmm. anybody has mm-hmm. and i remember and famously shia labeouf said his audition for the movie was right. he taped him and his girlfriend having sex and sent it in yep so i also uh, did that I, didn't get a call back you just decided to yeah like, figure hey, what the hell don't even want a part just thought you might like this um <laughs> but yeah, so like I wonder how much of that was just trying to make people feel better because you know Americans get really squeamish about sex, real squeamish. What? What? Oh, hang on, I'm going to reword that. Was the sex scene in Titanic the beginning of the end for sex scenes? Because that scene is so tame and so it's soft uh, around the edges. And then they realize, oh, okay, this is all we have to do to put sex in a movie now. We don't have to do the explicit stuff. We don't have to go through all the contracts of getting approval of nudity and stuff. No? I think it was uh, China opening up as a foreign market. Mm, Okay. Because they they, also, if you take a look at something like uh, The Meg, The Meg (laughs) is a movie I will take a look at The Meg again, yes. Yeah, I love The Meg, but it's a movie about a shark where no one gets a bloody death. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like it's completely bloodless. There's a scene where it goes to a beach filled with thousands of people and nobody dies, which is bonkers Weird. to me. So what I think happened, and again, this is all speculation on my part, just taking a look at you know history and how things shook down. It seemed like, you know, I okay, I do think Titanic showing that you could do something kind of sexy PG-13 and have that kind of mass appeal definitely made an impact. But at that point you had like red shoe diaries, silk stockings, all these, you know, skin right? If you wanted your jollies that way, you could do it at the privacy of your own home. Mm-hmm. You know, unless you're Pee Wee Herman. That, oh, that I feel bad for him. Um, but uh a quick aside i had i have a friend she's from italy and germany she's half italian half german and we were talking about peewee and i made a joke and this is you know probably 20 years ago and she's like what do you mean and i, I explained what happened to her and she goes people got mad about that i'm like oh it ended his career for a long time and she goes well what else do you do in a theater like that and it's like okay see you get it <laughs> <laughs> right that's a good question to ask Americans they weren't asking don't. that question right Americans though but anyway um so I I think what happened was in order to make more money overseas uh movies got movies lost the sex and we just put it on to cable yeah you know Mm -hmm. which is weird and sad I mean you know they certainly didn't use sex properly all the time in the 80s it was sometimes well a lot of times jammed in there because that was had to be part of the movies of the 80s yeah but you know, at least it made that okay. It made sex sometimes okay. It doesn't have to be this this weird thing that you make it because you're a Protestant. And I don't, I'll never get that. Do yeah. you actually? Did you ever see uh, Brokeback Mountain? Yeah, I love Brokeback Mountain. Brokeback People Mountain. lost their minds over two of the biggest actors uh, being gay cowboys, and. I think that also helped propel that movie as well because people were fascinated yeah. by 
how's this going to go? I'm sure there were some closeted people that go, ooh, Heath and Jay kissing. Let's go watch that. That's why I was there. Um, and so I think that, uh, but it took a foreign director. Ang Lee is not an American director. So it took a foreign director to be able to come in and do something like that. Maybe well, Gus Van Zandt can do that, but I don't think most mainstream directors no, 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 could. No, no, no. Well, no. Well, first of all, I don't think Gus Van Zandt has really done, uh, has he done anything of consequence in America since Goodwill Hunting? Well, but I mean, he has a history of that. My own private Idaho, for example, right. would have been right up the, you know, right up his alley. Um, Elephant, uh, I think, is right. But but what I'm people. saying is, the, those those really aren't like traditional American. That's fair. Movies, you know. Yeah. Now, now, what I would say is, the reason that movie went over well, and people didn't lose their minds as much as they would have at something like can uh, behind the candelabra. They would have their minds lost right now right. if it came out. Right, because it's not that graphic, and there are really only a couple of scenes where they're like intimate with each other, as opposed to behind the candelabra, where there's a scene that starts with you know, uh, uh, Liberace, you know, receiving mm -hmm. after taking you know, a popper. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> that movie is that that movie's like we said, that it, it, that movie goes hard. Pun intended. Hey, oh, do you have a history with I Am Curious Blue and I Am Curious Yellow? That was one of those early foreign films for me that was very titillating. It had such a history of the sexual nature of that. And it was always at the video store, the yellow and blue right next to each other. So I was fascinated um, all the time by that. I wouldn't say it was a great movie. I don't think any of them are great movies, but it was fascinating to see what they were doing. I think it came out in the 60s of some kind or, or, or sometime there around in there. Were you ever forced to watch that in film school? No. You missed out, man. You missed out. No. There was, oh, you know what? We would be remiss if we didn't talk about one of the greatest movies about porn ever made, Boogie Nights, and how they dealt with sex. Not about porn. It's not about porn. Fair. That, mo that Fair movie is about family. Yeah. I agree. Set in the porn industry. <laughs> Set in the porn industry. Yes, that's fair. Uh, but yeah. Roller Girl does make her uh, appearance. Um, oh, yeah. I will forever remember that. There's no question about that. We, and we, we honestly, we need to, we need to like name schools after her for that. Yo, scene. For sure. Yes. I, I, how old were you when that movie came out? 18. It was 98. 97. Okay. So I was 17. So I was 15, 16. Made quite an impression I, I, on me. I, I, I think I had to buy a couple of copies of that. VHS. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is there a movie I'm going to talk about mine first, but my question is, is there a movie that made the most impact, a sexual movie that made the most impact to you? Mine is going to be Crash, because I'll never forget that Cronenberg film and my little brain trying to realize that there is a bazillion different uh, people with a different uh, million different predilications for what they're liking and what they're enjoying. And sometimes they get off on car crashes. And my brain took a long time to process that. <laughs> But I'm kind of glad that I did because you see a different side of people like, again, well, again, a not an American director, Canadian director, Cronenberg. He also does some horrifying movies anyhow, so it was kind of right up his alley. But that not movie, just that, but he, he also has one of the sexiest scenes in any American film. Was that in Scanners? <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's really good. <laughs> History of violence. They're actually sure. 
Uh, the uh, on the steps. Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I, I know it was a joke, but I can also imagine you saying that totally serious. <laughs> well, that's head blue. It was really sexy. Scanners, man. That's that's the one for me. Funniest sex movie ever made. There's a lot of choices from there. I gave you one, but I'm curious before I give you mine. What do you think is one of the funniest sex movies ever made? One of the f- uh, in terms of the way sex is portrayed? Hey, you can't be, or how a character is with sex. You know, it could be a Woody Allen situation if you want to go that way. Showgirls, because it's also like the most quotable film ever made. Ooh, that is excellent. That movie was something at the time. I will it, never I, have I sex feel, like she did in a pool, but maybe I'll try one day. So I feel so bad for her because she came off of this TV show, a Saturday morning show for kids. And one of the large, one of the biggest directors at the time mm-hmm. and, and the single biggest screenwriter at the time. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, we're, we're teaming back up. You know, last one we did together was uh, Basic Instinct and that made Sharon Stone a bona fide star. You want to be in our movie? She goes, yeah. And they said, okay, well, you're going to be naked in a way that seems almost illegal. You know, you're going to be doing high kicks while completely naked. People will see everything of you. And the only thing they've really seen you before, you know, is on Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. And she, at a very young age, has to be the lead of this movie where she is putting herself completely out there and doing some crazy stuff, saying some ridiculous lines in this hyper-realistic way that like people get now, but at the time they totally didn't. And unfortunately, because people didn't get it, um, the whole thing got blamed on her and it really hurt her career for a while. And it's unfair. I feel so bad for her. I'm glad that she uh, still has a positive outlook of the movie. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that people have finally discovered it. Cause I remember I dismissed it uh, when I was in college and my first, my first day in college, I met a guy who I still consider a friend uh, that he honestly thought that it was one of the greatest American movies of all time. And I was like, you're insane. Mm-hmm. And then finally I sat down and watched it with a buddy of mine. I'm like, Oh my God, this movie is the most quotable movie ever made. I see what they're doing. And my wife and I will watch it and just talk about like, you know, it's, it's not that it's bad. It's just, it's going for a certain style that I don't think people got at the time. They weren't ready for and because he is, you know, Dutch and his sensibilities aren't like ours. Right. I don't think people were really ready for it. But that's what I would probably say is the funniest one, just because the stuff that people say in that movie is just ridiculous. And the way she uses sex as a tool so, um, so transparently is hilarious. Her sex in the pool, uh, I will never forget that. Um... No one ever will. No, it's, I was it's pretty traumatized by that classic scene. But then again, you have that scene that everyone makes fun of, but no one talks about the uh, the lap dance scene, which is I will I will fight anyone who says it's not one of the hottest scenes ever put on film. And it's shot well. The music is great. The cutting is fantastic. Yeah, it's great. And sorry, I dropped an earbud. And Gina Gershon knows exactly what movie she's in that entire time. Mm-hmm. 
She knows what she's making. She's a she's a she's a sex idol. She is uh, Gina Grishan, man. She's been in some good stuff. Uh, for me, the funniest one. Uh, just as long as you watch it properly, uh, involving sex and talking about things such as would be uh, what I was going to say, Eyes Wide Shut. That movie is so funny if you approach it as a comedy as opposed to however else that you might see it, a drama or a something people feel for a movie. It is ridiculously funny. I can't believe Tom Cruise yeah. agreed to do that movie because of the things that it says about him, I think, through yeah. that character and not through that character. And I laugh all the way through that movie anytime I watch it now. Well, the funny thing is, once you realize what the movie's about, everything in it becomes so clear and transparent. You see how transparent it is. And you, what's funny to me is going, oh, my God, I thought that there was more to it than this. Mm -hmm. No, no, it, your eyes were wide shut on this one. And then once you realize how simple it is, yeah. Uh, the funniest thing about it to me is how his character, Dr. Bill, Dr. Bill gets every kind of woman thrown at him. Just it's like, hey, you want a model? Oh, well, how about a three way with two models? Mm -hmm. Oh, you, you, you want an older woman? You want an underage woman? You want a guy? Like, what do you want? You want you want uh, uh, someone who's more uh, in tune with uh, the aristocracy. That's fine. You want a hooker, right? And it's all thrown at him, and the whole time he's just like, "Nah, yeah. I'm okay." It, it's it's hilarious. And the only person he shows any, the only person he cares about in that whole movie is Nick Nightingale. Mm -hmm. He's the only person that he really cares about. It's it's crazy. What's the password to the house? Fidelio. That's right, baby. I'll never forget that. Oh, no. that's such a good password. Do I you... actually dressed dressed up as him for a uh, a costume ball once. Yeah, excellent. Do you have a favorite film revolving around sex? A favorite sex scene? Anything like that that holds out into your mind? Because I'm about to uh, get us canceled whenever I answer for me. <laughs> um i actually really like the scene in boogie nights between uh, the first scene where uh the, the scene where he's on the job the first day with him and where uh julianne moore is kind of walking him through how to do it for for camera mm -hmm. where she's like okay okay just lay me down lay me down easily now okay okay you good all right and i love everything about it including the hilarious you know, we can cut to stock footage. Are you crazy? It won't match. <laughs> right. And they're trying to say it quiet, and then it just whip pans over. Jack, I can do it again if you need a close up. Mm -hmm. And like, it's like, and then you cut to the good times montage. It is fantastic. They they look like they have a lot of chemistry with each other, and mm. uh, you see him become a star in that scene. You see him go from literal newbie, like never been on a set before to when he says you know i can do it again if you need a close-up mm -hmm. it's like okay well this guy just wrote his ticket right there like that's it it's great i, sh I should have wrote my ticket i'm <laughs> going to answer this with my 13 to 15 year old self and i'm going to say brown barney no. i said 13 to 15 i didn't say it as I an know, adult I know, I know. and also i would never submit brown bunny in a sexual nature because that was 
um, a person in pain that was dealing with grief. So that had nothing to do with sexy, 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 sexy. However, was a little movie called Sliver. It takes oh, place yeah, in, yeah. in an apartment complex, and there are cameras. And it is uh, uh, one of the Baldwin's is in it. I believe it's Billy. Uh, Billy Baldwin is the is the Baldwin that's involved. I may have rented that movie more than once from my little video store, and it may have gone on slow mo on a few uh, situations. Oh yeah. It's really funny to me too, just kind of in retrospect, you look at movies like that, how they just can't be made anymore. And maybe that's no. a good thing. Maybe that's a bad thing. I don't honestly know, but man, there were so many of these during that time. Like we, we were sexualizing every kind of situation um, in that early nineties period. And Sliver to me is probably the high watermark of all those things combined. Not a great movie, but very sexual. What's, what's the one with uh, Willem Dafoe and Madonna? Is it Body Heat? I believe body heat would be the answer to that Jeez. one. Jeez, yeah. Now, now, what is one of the sexiest scenes with no nudity for you? Ooh, that's a good question. While you're thinking, I'll, I'll give you one of mine. Please. A little film called True Lies. Mm, no, I almost talked about that earlier. Her dance, man. I, I, I think I was, that came out in what, 95? Mm-hmm, yep. I was 12 or 13. I, I went into the movie. Hey, I can't wait to go see this. <laughs> right. Came out with a beard. Yeah. Yeah. That'll change uh, boys to men for sure. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to go with Selma Hayek and for Dust Till Dawn. Yes. When she's dancing oh, before that, she turns into the monster. That's that that's pretty good stuff. Has, has a human being ever looked better on film than in that scene? Because I, mean, I don't think so. Unless J Well, I mean, sure. J-Lo has from time to time. There's been moments like in U-Turn. That for the first uh, time she shows up in U-turn, she's pretty darn sexy. Yeah, but that whole scene with her with her dancing. Oh, I agree. And, I mean, she was just yeah. fantastic. Um, yay, and of course, the, the, there's only one thing that does that scene in for me. Uh-oh. Only one thing. Tarantino getting his foot fetish on. Well, that was inevitable. <laughs> it's got to be in there, man. It's got to be in there. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was a good talk about sex in movies. I don't <laughs> think we're going to get canceled, but I can't swear to it, except for that five uh -huh. minutes where you went off on talking about beep. Other than that, we were good. Matt, we are at the end of our show, so we want to make sure to leave the people with a little something before we go so they can be entertained between podcasts, between the next time they see us. So what have you been watching recently? What should the people enjoy from your letterbox playlist? Oh, my letterbox playlist? You know what? Uh, I've been watching uh, Ted Lasso season two. That's fun. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't been watching as many movies as I'd like. Uh, and most of the movies I've watched are kind of, all right. You know, uh, this is something we need to talk about on the next one. And, you know, something I texted you about the other day. More and more modern movies succumbing to this new kind of filmic language that's emerging that just, it hurts my brain. Mm. It really, it's, it's really taking a toll on me and I can't, I can't watch them anymore. So many formulas involved. I went on a Paul Newman kick last week. Ooh. So I'm going to give you a double feature of the color of money and absence yeah. of malice. Now the color of money is fantastic. It's a Scorsese film. Um, also Tom Cruise in there. They work brilliantly together. Scorsese does a little bit too much Scorsese and sometimes, but other than that it was a fine film. 
Well, he but, has to because I mean, you know, it's mostly about people standing around a, a table, you know. Fair. So he's got to he's got to do some fun stuff. Spice it but. up a little bit. Um, absence of malice is the one that I want to rave and rant about. It was fantastic. First time I've ever seen it before. It's um, Paul Newman and um, Gidget. <laughs> What's Gidget's name? <laughs> Sally Field. Uh, Paul Newman and Sally Field. It, at one point, it gets a little weird. It gets a little rough. Paul Newman apparently liked to rough up women in his movies. I didn't learn that until this uh, this recent Paul Newman trip. But they both were so unbelievable together, the way that they work together. He's a son of a mob guy who may or may not be involved, and she's a reporter who wants to get the story, and you know they get to go back and forth with each other. But I will tell you, Absence of Malice, made by four out of five-star rating on Letterboxd. That's how much I enjoyed it. So go find Absence of Malice. I think it's on Amazon right now. Let, let me actually suggest two more things. Love it. Go for it. Uh, one, I'm a year late on, but I finally got the time to sit down and watch The Last Dance. Mm, yes. Which it's one of the best docu-series I've ever seen. Without a doubt. And, made me, and it reminded me why I fell in love with the bulls in the 90s um because before then i was i was all about the lakers i grew up in la so it was all about the lakers but man you can't help but love the bulls in the 90s they were they were it um also uh you know we were talking about this earlier let's uh before the pod how about the rainmaker that's one that people haven't seen enough Mm. I like the Rainmaker a lot. Chris O'Donnell is in that one? No, that's uh, Matt Damon. Oh, that's the Matt Damon. And okay, yes, yes, yes. Matt Damon, Mickey Rourke, um, Danny DeVito, and... Uh, Coppola, right? Boy. Yeah, Coppola did it. Yeah. Um, yeah, as I love he's been doing the rounds recently, um, talking about some of his old movies as he's promoting his new um, Stillwater movie, which, by the way, I thought was really good. Um, and then he talked about that movie, but he also talked about Informant which is one of my, if not my favorite Matt Damon film that he did with Soderbergh and just such a fantastic flick. So um, yeah, go visit some old Matt Damon as well. Um, Talented Mr. Ripley, Contagion. I love Contagion, although might hit a little too close to home. And <laughs> one of his more recent films, which is actually, I think probably one of his best performances, uh, Ford v. Ferrari. It's a total bad yeah. movie, but it is, it's, it's good. Hmm, very nice. Good recommendation. I support that. If you support us, you can find us online on the World Wide Web, Matman Pod, wherever you get your podcast, um, Facebook, Instagram as well. We're all on there. We share our thoughts, ideas. You can tell us to have cancer if you want to. That's where you go to do that for us. Twitter or Instagram. I will take that insult either place that you want to give it. Uh, as always, I love doing the show with you. I thought that Me we too. covered a lot of great topics and we did not get ourselves in trouble with 40 minutes of sex talk. That is a miracle for you and me. I'm very proud of us. Matt, is there anything you want to say before we go? Uh, just take care and go get vaccinated, people. Or stay out of my way and stay home. I want to go <laughs> places, darn it. Stop messing up my world. Until next time. See you.